It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily talk sports show. On today's episode, myself and Simon were joined by England legend Stuart Pearce after his former club West Ham got to their first European final in 47 long years that was disappointingly overshadowed by crowd violence. Plus, did we witness football's greatest ever comeback at Hillsborough? Good morning, everybody. Stuart, great to have you on board. Simon, Simon, I've got to put it out there right away. I don't know where to start this morning. Last night was pretty darn sensational it everywhere was, yeah. you looked, wasn't it? it? Was, yeah. And as you and I were just saying there, here at home, Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. what a turnaround, and I'm so delighted for Darren Moore. Yeah, me too. I mean, I had a few text messages back and forth with Carton Palmer last night, who was his big mates, who I had accused of bucking him through the last four or five weeks. <laughs> and I have to say, I felt real uh, emotion towards Darren Moore, because when you saw his face after that penalty shootout, you know, he grabs one of his assistants, and it's that moment where you know that the emotion that's gone through him. Um, well done. I'm very pleased for him. I, I, do you know what? Without any bias or prejudice, and a little bit, I suppose, I hope they go and win against whoever they play. Yeah, because I well, think, I think he deserves it. Ninety-six yeah. points, ninety-six points to finish third in the league, to come back from four nil, come back from four nil down. Yeah, and um, that would be your phone, my phone, yeah, and to win the way they did. Yeah, I mean, I think Peterborough got precisely what they deserved because they played a brand of football that wasn't particularly admirable in that second leg. But notwithstanding that, well done, Sheffield Wednesday. Well, well, well done, Darren Moore. Darren McAntony won't be all that. I know he won't be particularly happy with that, but that's the you know not four nil down. Yeah. Oh, what a comeback. We'll talk about that later on this morning, sure. I know you were up in Newcastle last night, mate, and you've got down here this morning super quick, so thank you for that. You've spoken to your pal David Moyes. Yeah, I spoke with him last night. I was at a dinner last night, and everyone's super excited about Newcastle, obviously, and a big result for them. Spoke with Moisey about midnight last night, and... Uh, Absolutely delighted for him and the club because, listen, we know him and, and, and the work that he puts in. And, listen, we, we've got another English club in the European final. So yes. two this week. So it can only be a good thing. Yeah, the Italians have done all right, haven't they, though, uh, as far as the finals uh, are concerned. Not bad at all. Yeah. Because uh, they've got to every which one. But, uh, yeah, and, and Newcastle, so you were at the game or you just at no, dinner? No, I was at a dinner um, with Paul Collingwood. Um, but... Everyone had their, their ears tuned and eyes on the game. 
you know, the excitement of Newcastle's run and Champions League, and that result probably gets them over the line for Champions League football. Brilliant. Okay, we're going to talk about Newcastle further down the line. We'll talk about Sheffield Wednesday and what they did last night was nothing short of miraculous. Although Josh Windass tells me this morning, Darren Moore worked in them so much during the week, Simon, that they went on the pitch last night fully believing, fully believing they were going to do it. Well, they, they went on the pitch owing their manager and their supporters a performance because to go to Peterborough and play the way they did wasn't reflective of the season they'd put in. It was yeah. reflective of a team that were perhaps having a hangover from finishing third with 96 points. So they put it right, is what they did. Sure. And that's right as well, by the way. Well now, West Ham have reached the first European final for 47 years. In a moment, we'll talk about the scenes after the final whistle, and the scenes were not good. As Ed Altmark, I think, could be looking at a big, big punishment from, from UEFA. The bad news for Azed Altmar was that last night, UEFA's two top security and safety representatives were at the game. A Slovenian and a Finn. And the Finn is Juha Karjalainen. He's a senior safety and security expert at UEFA. So they will throw the book at Azed Altmar. Of that, there is no doubt. On the football side of it, Stuart, you're close to this club. What does it mean to West Ham? Well, you've only got to look at the stats. First major final since uh, first European final since '76. Forty years. The club have only won three trophies. They've got a brilliant opportunity. It won't be easy, but they've got a brilliant opportunity to get their hands on another trophy and put that up at the London Stadium. And I think when you look back, and, and we've spoke about this myself and Simon on, on you know varying things. The league campaign's not been great this year. We understand that. Everyone understands it. But when you look back over a three-year period, if they end up lifting the trophy in a couple of weeks, this three-year block in West Ham's history will be looked back upon, I think, is a real halcyon period. I really do. It is terrific. It, it is great for them, Simon. Have you changed your tune now in that it is a kind of European bobble if they win it? This is this is well, a third tier European I, 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 trophy. I maintain the same position that I think it's a third tier European trophy. It's a competition that's manufactured to create another outcome for UEFA and another opportunity to create competition football. But if I was the owner of Crystal Palace, I would be approaching it with the same gusto as the owners of West Ham will be approaching it, and was, as David Moyes will be approaching it because it's there to be won. Which is what I said about eighteen months ago when Spurs went out in this competition to some Portuguese side on an embarrassing performance. It, what, what the key gateway for me. It's not necessarily winning this, but the fact it will take it will take them into the Europa League next year. So that's where I would be looking at it. But for West Ham fans, you know, of course it's a, it's a it's it's a trophy, isn't it? It's, I mean, I mean, once upon a time the Intertoto Cup was a trophy and people parodied it. True, you've got to give it context. Yeah, but it is a trophy, and if you're in it, why shouldn't you be in a position to win it? And that's the outcome. Yeah. A winner is a winner, isn't it? Right. Um, at the end of the game uh, last night in in Holland. Uh, all, all hell broke loose to be quite honest a number of West Ham players including Mikael Antonio Flynn Downs side Ben Rama tried to join a fray that developed at the side of the pitch with uh, seemingly hooded Azed fans trying to get up a flight of stairs to get in amongst an area where there were travelling friends and families of the West Ham party and the scenes on social media are dreadful. Almost incredibly this morning, we're hearing that there were no arrests made last night. But the very fact that the West Ham players had to join in to try and protect their own people 
uh, tells its own story. And as said, the book will be thrown as Ad, as Ed Altmar. Of that, there is no doubt. David Moyes touched on on those scenes after the the game last night, but also he hoped that it didn't spoil what was an incredible moment for everybody associated with West Ham. I can't explain what happened or why it happened. I can only tell you there was players involved because it was a family section where most of their family and friends were in. And I think that's why a lot of them were seeing friends of their own family in that area. So uh, that was that was probably the reason for the reaction. And, you know, what we what you I don't want to do is that in any way to blight the night that... Uh, because it certainly wasn't West Ham supporters who were looking for trouble. They were, they were happy to celebrate at the end of the game. The, the, the scenes are, are dreadful, Simon, to yeah, be quite honest. Quite Extremely yeah. unruly. Whether there were any arrests inside the stadium or not, you know, there's video evidence of what went on, although they, they went to, to a, a great degree to protect their own uh, mm. identity, the Azed uh, supporters. But you would think if you are the president, if you are the, one of the directors at Azed Altmar this morning, you're looking at a, at, at least a fine, possibly a stadium yeah, closure. I mean, now tell me it's the English disease. Um, look, the bottom line is is that they're not football fans. I don't know what they are, but they're not football fans. Um, I don't suppose that they were particularly aiming for the for the family enclosure, but that's just perhaps uh, a quirk of un- unintended consequences about where, loca- where they're located, the travelling um, fans or the travelling family. I mean, what can you say about it? There's not a lot you can say about it, is there? The, you know, the fact there wasn't any arrests, I don't quite know why that wasn't the case, but notwithstanding that, I'm always loath... I hate the fact that the club gets consequenced for individual choices made by individual morons because there's not a lot the club can do about it. What can the club do about people deciding they want to behave that way? Yeah. But that's the necessary consequence and that's the ramifications of it. What it does is it tells you that there's a lot going on around football and around society at this moment that's seemingly giving people a sense of entitlement to behave in a way uh, and using a football match as an excuse just to be thugs and hooligans and whatever else they intended to be there. and cowards yeah cowards going you know if you're going to go and do something that you think you're you know you've got some right to do why don't you do it full in full in the glare without wearing masks and mm. hoods and whatever else they do I mean, they're not football fans Jim but they're if, not you, if you're fans. David Sullivan this morning though Simon and uh, he's not back in his office at this stage but mm. if you're Sullivan this morning are you asking your counterpart at Altmar like what was done what was put into process that this might have been prevented? Because something like this, the side well, of the pitch, yeah. they're wandering around freely. Yeah. There's always a chance it's going to happen. Yeah, you'd like to think that there was... I mean, again, this has UEFA's footprints, fingerprints all over it because it's their tournaments, it's their competitions, they must have intelligence. The police are, have, you know, real understanding of what goes on in the build-up to games because it's not really secrets that people behave in a certain way at football stadiums. They organise it amongst themselves to do so. So, again, you wonder about how much discipline and focus is put on to ensuring that activities of the pit, of the pitch are maintained in a certain way. But if I'm David Sullivan, you know, I'm pleased that nothing's happened. I'm pleased that my fans haven't gotten involved in situations where it can subsequently become something about us as well. And I would wait to hear what other people have to say about it because they're on the plane back from Holland to London with a European final in, 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 in the offing. Mm. And, and a, a sense of... Well, that wasn't very pleasant, but up and onward we go. Yeah, yeah. It do, it does take the edge off it, uh, Stuart, does it not? Well, I mean, when you see scenes like that, you you looked at some of them in yeah. my phone online this morning. Yeah, we're, we're talking about that rather than the football, the achievement and all of that. Yes, we've got to touch on it. We're, we're a topical show. But I find that quite sad that we have to 
actually give it airtime in many ways, you know. It, it, yeah. We have to, but it, it's a sad thing. We should be concentrating on a brilliant result for the football club. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. It's such a shame that this morning we have to talk about fan trouble at the end mm. of the, the West Ham game last night over in uh, Holland. But talk about it, we are obliged to do. Just as we are being reminded, and we don't need prompting, believe me, we don't need prompting. Yes, we saw the thousands of Sheffield Wednesday fans on the pitch at Hillsborough last night on full time. And they shouldn't have been there, Simon. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Absolutely. But in terms of numbers... What would you How do? How do you contain it? What would you do? 32,000 fans, euphoric, built to a fever pitch by the nature of the competitivity of the game. 5,000 fans coming on a pitch. How are you going to stop that? Football encouraged it for years and years and years and years and years and thought it was something to be celebrated. And now it's changed its mind. And whilst I'm in the camp that people have got to follow the rules, I just don't know how you stop it. I mean, I watched the game last night and I'm thinking to myself, there's no parallel universe. Anybody, you could bring in the militia. And they're not going to stop those five thousand yeah. fans coming on the on the on the. Yeah. The tragedy is you start to see things like assistant referees getting a whack in the face from the videos that we've seen. You know, in terms of people getting knocked over or whacked over by fans, and that's the kind of thing. I think people... the one thing that would have astounded us if after that turnaround of of results, if they'd have been in the stands, if, if they'd have stayed in the <laughs> yeah, stands, you know, the euphoria, some of the the best joyous moments we've seen in football is when the. There's a pitch invasion. You go back to, they wheel it out every FA Cup, the Hereford goal and everyone yeah, coming right. on and, and whatever. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid going to the Palace Burnley game to get promoted to the first division, 51,000 fans at Sellers Park and yeah. you could not get anybody off that pitch. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that's the society that we've created. But now what we've got to do is find a way to either enforce the rules or ensure that people, when they do come on the pitch, behave the very best they can. Indeed. Yeah. You know. West Ham are in a European final and we stress that. It's a wonderful achievement. It sure is a wonderful achievement. The last European final uh, was the 1975-76 Cup Winners' Cup final. They lost on that occasion to Anderlecht. But they will go to Prague and it's the Europa Conference League final. But having said that, and we're, we're low to do it, but we are obliged to do it. There was considerable unrest in the stands at the end of the game. Uh, and what did we see? We, we, we saw some West Ham players getting caught up in it. And now one wonders... Are they implicated? Will 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 the authorities be after them? Players like Antonio Downs, Ben Rama, to ask them for an account of their part in the fray, and the fray was considerable. But undoubtedly, from what we've seen online, it's AZ fans hooded for the most part, going up staircases looking for trouble at the end of it, and the implications now could well be serious for this Dutch club. We've got a couple of calls into fans' organisations of AZ and who knows, they may come to air with us. They're communicating with me this morning anyway, I can tell you. Uh, 03717223344. For any fans who were there last night, West Ham fans now back in London who want to give us their account of what they witnessed. And Steph, I think you're a West Ham fan who was there last night. Am I right? Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning all. Yes, we're on our way back from Alkmaar this morning. Uh, we were one of the 900 fans that were actually in the official away end and we were caged in and we could not move. We were held back after the game. We watched it all kicking off 
in the, I'll call it corporate and friends and family section. And we wondered why actually the fact the players didn't come straight over to us and now obviously realise why. There was one guy, Nolsey, who was at the top of the stairs. He's a, a West Ham um, fan in that section. He was holding back a sea of ultras, hooded yobs coming at them up the stairs. There was no security, no police in that stadium. It was a contrast from, say, Frankfurt, where we had riot police with shields and helmets in the stadium ready for trouble. Now, the AZ stadium should have known there was going to be problems because we saw ultras in Alkmaar before the game. They were in pubs. We were told not to go to certain areas before the game and to go straight to the fan park. We know that they were there was trouble because the ultras were broken up by the police and they were walking off down through the town centre when I was coming back having got something to eat. So we know that there was trouble before the game. And I spoke to um, one of the MPS that travelled with West Ham and they were all on the lookout. So we knew and, and Alkmaar knew there was going to be trouble. However, there was nothing in the ground whatsoever apart from these inane stewards who really did not have a clue how to behave under these circumstances. They weren't trained, they didn't have the proper credentials and it was an accident waiting to happen, a big accident. From our end, in the cage section, we were clapping the AZ normal fans, the normal supporters like us, they were clapping us, we were clapping them, fair play, it was sportsmanlike. But we were held back about half an hour after the ground because the ultras were waiting in their stand for us and they gave us buses back to the train station and to Amsterdam Central. It all sounds extremely unruly. <laughs> Steph, you're Stuart Pierce this morning. Uh, uh, Steph... It- Obviously, I know that the club really, really appreciate the support, the travelling support and whatever. Just looking forward to the final, I know there'll be very limited tickets available for both sets of fans. It's a small ground and I can imagine uh, the Hammers fans travelling in massive numbers as well. Do you do you think that that's going to be an issue going forward for the final? I think it's going to be better than it was because it's a neutral venue. Mm. I think the problem that you might find is if teams based in Prague decide that they want to have a pop at West Ham. Um, That's the difference, because where you've got home teams, whatever country, and you see if it's it's Florentina and West Ham, if you then add Prague fans into the mix, the Prague ultras think, oh, we're going out to have a pop at either Florentina or West Ham. Of course the fans there are going to want to defend themselves. If you're sitting in a bar in Frankfurt and suddenly a load of Frankfurt ultras come at you, you're going to defend yourself. Mm. You're not going to roll over and say, come and have a throw, throw a chair at my head. You know, the problem is going to be not so much between Florentina and West Ham. I think the problem might be the Prague supporters coming into the mix. Oh, that's yeah? all you need. That's all to... you need, isn't it? Steph, listen, safe journey back because it sounds that it gets seriously out of hand last night. Before we hit the break, here's David, who's another West Ham fan. David, were you there? Yeah, I was, Jim. Uh, we've literally just got off the plane at, at Gatwick. Um, I sat next to a guy on the plane who was in that area, and everyone saying the same thing, lack of police. Before the game, I just heard the lady on the uh, call before me, lack of police. You've got the stewards in the ground. We're caged up like animals, which we had in Seville. We had it in Frankfurt, which was a joke last year. And again this year, and after the game as well, I mean, we didn't get back to our hotel till 2.30 in the morning, and... It was just so poorly organised. You talk to these supporter services um, 
sort of guys that are on the ground on behalf of the club, and they're brilliant, they're great to talk to, but they all say the same thing. We are at the mercy of the local police and the club, UEFA, got liaised with these these local police forces. It's a joke. There was, it was too late. When the police came into the ground, it was too late. It had already happened. This big row would come down. I'm sure everyone's seen the, the videos on social media. And people were just left vulnerable because of the lack of police. The stewards didn't really want to know. And then, as I say, after the game, we were just kept in caged like animals. It's a joke. David, listen, thanks for the call. Simon, it seems that it was a very nasty situation for what yeah. we're hearing from Steph, from David, and yeah. others trying to call through here. I, I, I think a major incident Look, has been avoided here. The assertions that people weren't trained properly didn't have the quality to be able to do it. We don't know that. We haven't heard AZ's version of events at this moment in time to right. understand what their stewards did and didn't do. Right. But again, you have to look at this. This isn't a group stage game where UEFA can't be across every single detail. These are showpiece events. These are semi-finals for one of their big tournaments. And you'd like to think that they would have the prerequisite amount of intelligence to suggest... We've seen situations in Dutch football. We've seen recently there's been a lot of altercations coming on the pitch. So we know there's a temperature potentially in these games. There's also allegations that are b bouncing around that West Ham fans last week were a little bit at it with some of the um, AZ Alkmaar yeah. uh, families and, and families and officials. So retribution comes into play. But if there was an issue in London last week where there was a little bit of an issue and I'm not suggesting it was I'm just following what social media has said in this few instances and what the uh, AZ Alkmaar manager said last night after the game when describing the events he described events back in London that would have been intelligence that surely would have flowed through into that environment to say okay we can't have a repeat of that situation last night however big or small last week however big or small it was you've got to look at the professionalism of these circumstances because if those allegations are right and the policing wasn't sufficient, the stewarding wasn't qualified enough, you have to ask yourself why mm. and whose responsibility is it? Because ultimately, if UEFA put on a tournament and it gets to the semi-final stage, or whatever stage, it's still not excusable, but a semi-final stage of a showpiece event, yeah. why wouldn't you have the prerequisite amount of security? We've, have we not learnt the lessons? Yeah. Did we not understand what happened in the European Championships under UEFA Watch? Did we not watch the Champions League last year? Exactly. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. It's hard to uh, move on from uh, the post-match scenes in Holland last night. Of course, West Ham got themselves to the Europa League uh, Conference final uh, where they will play Fiorentina of Italy. But that said, post-match, there were dreadful scenes and they're on they're online, they're everywhere this morning. West Ham players involved with them, trying to protect uh, their own family fr- and friends who, it seems, were being set upon by some Azed Altmar supporters and West Ham fans being attacked by Azed fans as well. The scene was a bad one. And of course, the bad news this morning for Azed is that two of the top UEFA security officials were actually at that match last night. Also at that match last night was former West Ham uh, player and former colleague of mine at Sky Sports, Tony Gale. And Tony... Uh, has taken it upon himself to call the show this morning. Tony, good morning. You were there. What did you see? Hi, Jim. Hi, Simon. All right, PSC. Hello, mate. Uh, morning. Yeah. morning. Yeah, I was in that section. Uh, <laughs> I've got to tell you, my old bottle was going, and I've seen a few things uh, in football in my time, but I just couldn't believe the lack of security and knowing, kind of knowing what was going to happen during the game and the feel around the whole town during the day. Uh, I've got to say, the West Ham travel staff and commercial people who were present at the game and around the fan zone were excellent. There was nothing they could do about it whatsoever. But I've got to question AZ Alkmaar. I've got a question. We saw it just about 10, 15 minutes before the end. I saw him walking. You could see it was like a trail of ants walking around the ground, coming because there's like a general walkway down the bottom. But it was blocked at one end. But you could see him trying to come down. And then all of a sudden... They're rattling at the railings after the goal's gone in when four nails went through and uh, sealed the victory. They're rattling at the ra- railings and there was no police there whatsoever. There were stewards, but the stewards just simply moved out the way. You know, if you're on six quid an hour or whatever a steward gets, it's very difficult to really put yourself up front there, isn't it? The stewards people. moved out the way, Tony, to let yeah, this lock start climbing the staircases. Without a shadow. So they've come walking down the... Um, uh, running down the um, the stair, uh, sort of the the thing around the ground. It's like yeah. a, a big walkway, and then they're trying to get to all, all our fans, of course. Now there's only one stairwell to get at where our 150, 200 people were. And all these, there was all these kids in all their black hoodies and their caps and everything, easily distinguishable, positively distinguishable. And you knew they was coming. They was going to have a row. There's one fella who stood up the top of the stairs. I don't know who he was. And he must have stopped a lot of them. 
He deserves a medal. I've got to tell you, he deserves I've, a medal. I've seen that, Tony. I've seen that. I mean, as Ed are going to get the book thrown at them for this, are they not? Without a shadow, Jim. Without a shadow. You knew it was going to happen. You could see them coming. You could see the fence coming down. And it wasn't till they were actually in with our supporters. And I'm talking about kids, ladies, you know, the families. Moise's dad was up there, all the players, you know, parents and brothers and sisters and everything. Uh, generally good people. All yes. good people around yes. there. Not, trouble, yeah. not troublemakers. And then all of a sudden, it's all off. And uh, if... If you got through him, I was next in line. So, um, yes, <laughs> I'm a big, big thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you got out there in one piece, Tony. We'll we'll continue to make calls on this. We'll we'll continue to to find out more about it in the in the course of the morning and the afternoon, no doubt today. But now we know West Ham have got themselves to a European final. Stuart Pearce was speaking to us, telling us what it means to the football club. I mean, you must feel so proud to have been a part of this football club, and they're in another European final. Well, it's just uh, lit up their lives, the West Ham fans' lives. And, you know, you've just got to thank the whole playing staff, management, the coaches, everyone, everyone at the club for giving everyone this opportunity to go to a European final now because this is what football's all about. It's all about that shame about all the travel, forget all the trouble and everything. But West Ham are in a European final. So, you know, it's not been the best of seasons in the league, but, you know, juggling it, as everyone knows, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, for the last two years, it's a, it's a juggling act to try and get those league, uh, those league, uh, those league these wins, league wins that you need, yeah, yeah, and also stay in these kind of competitions and raise yourself for a peak. To sure it. thing, so they've done brilliant. Tony Gale, as always, Tony, good to speak to you. Thank you for taking time out to to come to air with us this morning. Tony Gale, with his uh, former West Ham player, these scenes were bad. By the sounds of it, Stuart, these scenes were seriously bad. I'll tell you what, in a different environment, well, even in this environment, let's say, the gentleman who was stood at the top of the stairs, according to Tony and eyewitnesses, he deserves an absolute medal for what he done because he probably averted an absolute catastrophe, to be honest with you, by the sounds of things. Yeah, it must have been bad when you get someone like Tony Gale calling in yeah. and say, well, we know it was bad. So we'll watch yeah. now to see what UEFA do. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Sheffield Wednesday fans on the pitch last night at Hillsborough. Shouldn't have been there. We'll get to that in a second. Because I don't want to take the edge off what was an incredible achievement on the pitch. No team uh, in the English uh, Football League playoffs had ever overcome a first leg deficit of more than two goals. But last night, was it a lost cause? Far from it. Sheffield Wednesday went in against Peterborough United four down from the first leg so what on earth could they do they pulled it back then there was a blip it goes to penalties and they won the penalty shootout Sheffield Wednesday head to Wembley it's an incredible story striker Josh Windass got one of the all important penalty kicks took it and scored I don't think he knew what he'd been involved in even this morning this is Josh yeah, obviously all the lads are buzzing in the change room after the game. Um, we all went home reasonable amount of time, to be honest, so it's all good. But um, no, my legs are in pain, but it was all worth it. I mean, are you pinching yourself? Can you believe the turnaround that you managed to achieve last night? Do you know what? After the first leg, there was obviously a part of me that thought, oh, we've messed this up. Um, but fair play to the manager. Every single day since the first leg, we've been practising penalties. Um because he's been telling us that we're going to take it to penalties and we're going to turn it round. And the first few days, a couple of the boys were a bit wary, but 
as the week went on, we obviously started to believe and the more and more we practiced and the more more he drilled into us, we obviously thought we can do this. How did you feel, Josh, stepping up and taking your penalty? Genuinely fine, yeah. Stuff like that didn't really bother me that much. Um, yeah, we said, we said before the shootout that the real pressure was pulling it back to, to the result we got it to, so no one was really fussed taking penalties. Josh, you'll probably be aware that Darren Moore came in for a lot of criticism on social media after you went down in the first leg, in the, in the, in the way you did, in the manner you did. Was there a desire to do this last night amongst the players for Darren, not only for yourselves, but for him? Yeah, to be honest, the abuse he got was an absolute disgrace, to be honest. Um, I spoke to him after it happened, and obviously he was a little bit upset, and obviously you never want to see stuff like that, but he's he's a strong man, he's strong-willed. Um, he doesn't really let stuff like that affect him. So, no, the players, obviously, nobody wants to see stuff like that in football, especially because of what a bad result after getting 96 points. And um, obviously, after then we did what we did last night. So I don't think Gaff has got to prove to anybody what a, how good of a manager he is after the season he's had. Mate, there was a belief amongst your supporters last night that this was on, wasn't there? Mate, the crazy thing is, genuinely, everybody in the squad thought we were going to win 5-0. And it sounds pure delusional now, like before the game, but no, there's one, one member of the team that didn't think we were going to win 5-0. Um, the manager was showing us comebacks all week of teams that have done it. And, and he basically said, we're going to be the next one. And we scored five, three or four times already this season. So... He said, we're going to go score five again. And I don't know if he's uh, doing Mystic Mega out like that, but it came true. <laughs> so he certainly did a job on you mentally. You, 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 you in the end believed you could do it. Yeah, because obviously the day after the first leg, I was thinking we've messed it up. Um, but the gaffer was adamant we were scoring five. And then as the week went on, every player was saying, oh, if we get two before the first half and two at full time, we'll get a fifth and extra time. And that's exactly what happened. Josh, you know what I'm going to say now. I mean, you've got to go one better now, haven't you? Yeah, well, I was saying, if you, if you noticed after the penalty shootout win, I didn't even celebrate, to be honest, Jim. Um, I just went straight into the uh, into the changing room because you get you get absolutely nothing for, for a semi-final win. And obviously, I've played at uh, big clubs and this is a big club and you get nothing until you win until you win the final whistle. So, um, yeah, we need to go to Wembley and do it and do a big job on whoever we're going to play. So that's the main focus. Josh Windass, Stuart Pierce is alongside Simon and myself this morning. Stuart, you're in Newcastle last night. You'd probably be made aware up there. Have you heard what was going on at Hills? Yeah, indeed. I mean, I can't think of a turnaround uh, as clinical as that one. With the pressure on the team having, well, sometimes probably the pressure was taken off because they got beaten 4 0 and the result was so bad in the first leg. But I tell you what, I remember Sheffield Wednesday as that old Premier League. Division One team with the support they've got at Hillsborough as well. So you can see why they're buoyed on, and it was some performance and some turnaround, no doubt. I mean, thirty-two thousand there last night, Simon. If ever we were in any doubt how big this football club is, we saw it last night. Oh yeah, no and now as Josh that. says, they've got to go one better yeah. and win the final. There's no doubt about that. Some of the observations made on on television last night. This is the third tier of English football. Just have a look at it. This is unique. There's a case to answer that they should never have been in that position in the first place to have to come back from 4-0 down because they, you know, the performance they put in away to Peterborough was a pretty tepid performance. I like the fact that um, Darren Moore didn't make this about the criticism and observations that were made about him and uh, some of the, you know, the, the sentiments that were being deployed because of they lost the game and where it went. He made it about the football. There was not, there was a sort of underlying set, a scenario of people going, oh, ye of little faith. 
I'm telling you, if you straw polled every one of those Sheffield Wednesday fans, you'd have had a very small minority of them that might have said they were going to win that game. So nobody wrote them <laughs> off. They wrote themselves off. Yeah. They got beat 4 0, right? So that's nobody wrote them off. What they did was they came back and they corrected it. Um, and the, Josh thought it was on. He, he thought once they got one, then maybe two. Well, he thought, look, yeah, we can do this. I mean, I can assure you that when we played Watford in the playoff semi final and got beat 3 0 at home, Ian Dowie was imparting the same wisdom to the players that you're going to go to Vicarage Road and you're going to overturn a 3-0 defeat. We didn't. We drew out a nil-nil tepid draw, but it's the manager's job to pull the players together. He's not going to sit there and go, well, that's all done then. Mm. He's got to play in front of 32,000 fans, probably playing for his managerial career in this particular dugout because last year they didn't get through the playoffs this year they've got to the playoffs they get knocked out again probably the owner's going to go and say well I'll give you two chances that's your lot yeah. so he knows what he was playing for you've got a unique component part which is the fan base they got an early goal which got them away and up and running and then it gave them a chance and the, how bad Peterborough were doubled down on it but you've still got to go and score four or five goals you've still got to pay and when you get to the 81st minute I'm watching the game thinking they ain't going to score again they're not going to score again. They're not going to score again. And of course, the controversy comes out of the fact that they scored the 98th minute. By the way, there's no controversy in that, Darren Ferguson. Your players spent most of the second half rolling around on the floor, trying to waste as much time as they possibly could. And they continue to do that in the six minutes that are added on. So you've got a goal scored against you in the 98th minute because of your own antics. The better side won. Yeah. They deserve to win. The penalty shooter, irrespective of what Josh says, that is remarkable pressure to be under. You know, you should score penalties. Um, you know, you shouldn't bottle it. Um, but the bottom line is, is they didn't and they took penalties in such a fashion um, that was demonstrative of a professional footballer not succumbing to the pressure. And I'm very proud for Darren Moore because I watched his face afterwards and the only reaction I could take from it was a sense of pride for him yeah. because you could see it. I'm critical of football managers and I think that what they get too often too much too easy and some of the players too. But in those moments, you've got to go and say substance yes. and emotion and reaction to it is one of pride for him. And to all them, all those individuals, Stuart, who went on social media and abused them mm. after the first game at Peterborough, then where are you now this morning with your thoughts? Darren Moore came through it last night. He he motivated his players. Well, I They've th got to Wembley. I think Darren Moore's a man of substance, to be fair. He's unassuming. Um, he, I think he, he puts his team before himself and... He's just shown his rose above that. And uh, on occasion like that, Jim, I'm pleased I don't do social media, to be <laughs> yes. quite honest with you. But, it, yes. but it, well, I know we've got to celebrate these things in the moment and we'll concentrate on whether they should have been on the pitch in a second, no doubt. But this is for nothing. They've got to go and win this playoff mm. final yeah. because greatest comebacks in playoff semi-finals, yeah. with the due respect, mean nothing if you don't go and win the playoff final. Yeah, let's touch on the pitch invasion now. Um, I saw one fan running into one of the officials and the official went flying. But there were, how many do we think? There were thousands in the pitch last night, were there? Thousands. Um, thousands. So we, there's Graham, the Liverpool fan. You've got to stop giving pitch invasions airtime. It's only you who seems to uh, sensationalise this. No, Graham, Liverpool fan, we wouldn't be doing our job if uh, we didn't mention it. And of course, we have to mention it because they shouldn't be there. So Sheffield Wednesday's big moment, Simon, should they be pulled to one side for this and told, right, 
we can't have this. Well, well, inevitably they have to be because you can't set the standards and suggest that people can't do it. This time last year when it was going on and there was altercations and issues, because it's not really, when you come down to distill it down to the bottom line, it's not really about them coming on the pitch. It's about the principles of what can happen when they do go on there for the errant few that want to behave in a distasteful fashion. And when it does happen, when it does happen, when something does happen, which it inevitably will, then people will say, why didn't someone stop these pitch invasions? Because somebody's had something dreadful done to them. The problem is, is that football has developed this culture forever and a day, whether it's Ronnie Radford scoring for Hereford or it's my team, Crystal Palace, getting promoted in 1979 or it's Jimmy Glass scoring a goal on the last minute. Forever and a day, we have tacitly accepted and almost encouraged the notion that football fans on the last game of the season with a momentous occasion like this have a right to be there and because of societal pressures and certain situations that manifested themselves in the European Championships and also in the Man United situation where the fans broke into the stadium and behaved their way there it got extrapolated up to we need to outlaw this now and when you outlaw it then you make a rule. I'm on the side of saying things well if we've made a rule now people got to do as they're told but I'm also a realist I'm not King Canute how are you going to stop what happened yesterday? You've got this ridiculous fever pitch, fever, you know, uh, absolute febrile environments with you know high intensity, high focus, 32,000 fans whipped up to a frenzy of fever pitch, all the emotion that goes with it, and then, by the way, sit in your seats and applaud. It's just not going to happen. Mm. It's not going to happen. So what's the alternative? But if you can't make it secure and you can't police it you and steward it in the right fashion... Jim, you couldn't stop you that. You can't have those numbers in last night if you cannot accommodate those numbers. So so what what are we saying then? We're saying that there's no way to police that. and Unless you're going to line up double deep police and stewards around the entire perimeter of the stadium, you are not going to stop... 32,000 fans with probably 10 to 15% of them prepared to spill over into the pitch. How are you going to stop it? Yeah. Really? But Simon, you're a great one for saying, and you're quite right to say it, don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. So how do they stop it? You don't get it in rugby. You don't, you don't see... When England won the Rugby World Cup, you didn't see thousands of England fans pouring out the pitch. Well, that because it was uh, in Australia. It doesn't matter. There were thousands there. Uh-huh. You know exactly what I'm saying. Don't tell me what we can't do. Tell me what we can do. How do you stop it? Agreed. I mean... We're sick of it. Well, We've been told by some idiots this morning on social media, why are you covering it? We've got to highlight the, it. There's, there's, there's one thing accepting it. There's another thing trying to respond to it. The problem is, is the football clubs will be consequenced. As much as I am in, this, in that space, and you were right to say that's what I often say, you are not going to stop it. You're not going to stop it. That's oh, great then, isn't it? Well, that, you know, you're not going Jim, I mean, the, the fact of the world, we live in an unjust world. Terrible things happen and ultimately people can't solve and resolve these things. We are in a situation where for 50, 60 years, football has engendered this outlook and it constantly does it about the importance of fans, how valuable they are, how fans are at the key lifeblood of football, how from COVID point of view, that they went about the fans being inside the stadium, we are nothing without you. And then all of a sudden it pivots and says, actually, this that we've accepted for years, no more. You can't do it. You know, there's a, a plethora of mixed messages there. I'm in your camp. I'm like, if it's a rule, why don't you just, why don't you, don't, why bring flares? Why can't you just sit in the stadium? Why have you got to run on pitches? But we've built, rugby is not like football. The football fans believe that they own their football clubs. They believe guys like me are just there to write out checks and we're the custodians of the football club for them. They believe emphatically when they come on this station and start spouting rubbish about Man United owners being in last chance saloon. They genuinely believe it. And when you've got that tribalism and you've got that further, What are you going to do, really, when it comes down to it, besides consequence of the clubs?
That's all you're going to do. Are you are you seriously telling me we're going to push back the waves of time of culture that's been built into football fans to say you aren't going to be able to do that because it's for the birds. Your 100% essential download, outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back on Monday. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.